This week's episode of Pragmatic Live is a special crossover with another production by Pragmatic Institute, Data Chats. Host Michael Lee, data scientist and founder of the Data Incubator, discusses how product teams should tackle responsible artificial intelligence with a leader in AI from IBM. Enjoy! Welcome to Data Chats, a podcast by Pragmatic Institute and the Data Incubator, where we tackle data topics and trends with experts, industry leaders, and instructors and alumni. I'm your guest host, Michael Lee, founder and president of the Data Incubator. Today, I'm sitting down with Aishra Srinivasan, an artificial intelligence and machine learning innovation leader at IBM. Aishra works cross-functionally with the product team data science team, and sales team to research AI use cases for clients. She conducts discovery workshops and builds assets to showcase the business value of the technology. Aishraya holds a postgraduate degree in data science from Columbia University and focuses on bringing in machine learning research to create business value. Well, welcome so much. Thank you so much, Michael. That was a wonderful introduction. We're super excited to have you. So let's dive right in. Yeah, sure. All right, so tell us a little bit about your career journey. What first sparked your interest in data science and what led you to IBM data and AI? Yeah, absolutely. So it was through my school where I was very interested in programming and I had been exploring my way through data analytics. So I had always loved math and statistics uh, through my schooling journey. And when I entered on my undergraduate studies in computer science, I naturally got exposed to a lot of projects in data analytics, uh, which is like, you know, now coolly known as data science. (laughs) So that sort of like sparked my interest in the space. And I kept on pursuing one project after the other. And I sort of got deeper and deeper into the machine learning and AI aspect of things. Through the end of my undergraduate degree, I was very sure that I wanted to pursue my career in the same field. And that's when I decided to do my postgraduate degree as well in data science. And eventually through career, I moved to IBM's data and AI team as an intern and eventually got converted to a full-time. Ah, that's really cool. So you kind of worked your way up at IBM, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah, we could say that. Uh, And so what are you most passionate about in the field of data science? So what I'm most passionate about is I'm a tech person and it really fascinates me on what we can achieve at this current day and what what just seemed to be a sci-fi thriller a decade ago, right? Mm -hmm. But what I'm more passionate about is to make this technology more ethical and more usable for everybody in the society. So when we see in history, like historically, we have seen a lot of technology being emerged in the society, but all of it does come with with challenges, with side effects, as you may call it. Similarly, we have seen the same trend with AI as well. So as a data scientist myself, I feel that I should be responsible enough to understand why Uh, I'm building something, what am I building? Who's gonna be the audience? How is it gonna impact? So I'm very interested in researching more about the responsible AI part of things and making sure that the way we are delivering the applications, it's more ethical and more responsible towards building the technology. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's so important. As we've seen a lot recently about bias in AI, whether it comes sort of facial recognition or algorithms used in sentencing decisions. And it's just so important for us to be thinking about uh, not just sort of the positive benefits of AI, but those ill effects that it might have in society. So, you know, that, of course, naturally segues into this conversation about responsible AI. And what do you see as the primary ethical and legal challenges confronting an organization today? So a few of the things which we are already seeing in the news, right, with respect to data privacy or how the data is being used, if the users are being informed about when their data is being collected, how is it being used, and the, the core concept of having the control over the data by the users themselves, that's one of the ethical challenges which companies are facing. And a lot of companies have been going through legal litigations against the same. Similarly, we also see challenges with respect to technological aspect where we are building something, but then there are loopholes. There are ways that these models can be attacked. There are ways that the data can be breached, or there are ways where uh, you know the, the core uh, application can be used for something that's unethical. So these are some of the challenges which we are presently seeing with respect to like companies trying to implement these applications uh, in a productionized manner. But with respect to legal challenges, what I see is going to come in the next decade would be how countries are being more uh, active about the, the entire concept of ethical AI, right? Where come countries are uh, proposing new rules, they are proposing data localization policies. That is, again, going to be very challenging for organization on how they conduct business globally. Yeah, I mean, I think the data localization thing is going to be very interesting because you may very well, and we've talked about this before, right? You may very well want to centralize your research team in, say, the U.S., but then your a lot of your users are in India, and that user data has to stay in India, which then makes it hard for the team in the U.S. to be able to interact with that, or potentially make it make it hard, right? And so, how do you deal with a world in which you no longer have kind of the global internet, but perhaps like kind of various national networks and rules about what data can pass and can't pass between those. I think that's such a fascinating challenge that we're going to see. And I think that actually there's also, you know, as we've discussed before, potential technological solutions yeah. uh, for, uh, for that. And it's so interesting. So let's move from like what organizations have to do to how do they actually do it, right? So in your view, how should user product teams approach responsible AI? So one of the things I've been researching about in this domain is how do we have the right kind of personas in a team, right? So far, we have only engineers and data scientists building these products. And that, trust me, is a huge challenge because we have seen technology being built without considering diversity and inclusion, without yeah. understanding what is the impact on teenage, for example. So that's a real, really major concern. And that's where I feel like there has to be different personas working in a tech company, building AI applications, and not just having engineers and data scientists and tech people do it. So one of the things that you see, right, uh, as a part of responsible AI is model explainability, seeing that the model is fair and building models which are de-biased, et cetera. 
So these are more technical aspects of things which can be taken care by data scientists. But there are more things to it. For example, user experience researchers. So these are people who are social science researchers or psychologists who try to understand that how would a user perceive these applications? How would a teenage age group versus, say, like people in 20s or people in 30s versus people in 50s perceive this application? So that is another set of set of people in a team who are building AI applications. That's going to be very helpful. The other part is having data privacy and data security officers. So these are people who are specifically focused on understanding how to protect the data from any kind of breaches to make sure that it is adhering to all kinds of data governance rules and policies and to make sure that how this data is being handled by data scientists on the, on the analytics side of things. Then we have AI ethicists. So these are more from like, you know, an executive level person who is observing and making sure that every piece of the puzzle is working uh, right together. So they are basically handling the entire, uh, the entire umbrella of things under the AI ethics. So these are more of uh, executive level people who are in the leadership and making sure that everything is running seamlessly. And uh, then we have cybersecurity officers. This, again, I would uh, emphasize why is it very important is because we have seen machine learning models being attacked. We have seen models being compromised. We have seen data being breached. We have seen the decisions which are coming out of the model being used for unethical uh, reasons. So these are more from like a cybersecurity aspect of things. And that's why it's important that cybersecurity officers are also involved in this pipeline of building AI models or like building AI applications. So these are some of the personas which I feel is very, very important and has to be there in entire uh, team, team in an organization which is building any kind of AI product. Yeah. And deviating a little bit from the script here, I'm kind of curious how you think about all these people working together, right? You, you bring up all these roles and personas, and some of them are technical, data scientists, mm -hmm. data engineers, and some of them are perhaps likely not technical, right? Mm -hmm. When you're thinking about a data, data privacy and security officer, may not be technical, an AI ethicist, UX research. How do you think about all these people working together on something that's as technical and be able to communicate, right? Mm -hmm. on, when they're working on something that's as technical and as complex as AI and ML? I'll just give an example, right? Somebody like a social science researcher or a user experience researcher, they need not know how the AI models are working. They need not know how technical stuff is working. But what they, they are good at is interpreting why is this particular application being built? Let's say, for example, we are building some kind of facial recognition application. And they would be there to make sure that the data which is being used to train is the right representation of the diversity in society that we see. Mm -hmm. As the right representation of the data, that's not just celebrity data. That has people who look regular, like, like you and me in, in, in daily life. So this was one of the major uh, issues that arise when one of the organization built a facial recognition model. And uh, the model was not able to identify women correctly because they were without makeup and the data that it was trained mm. on was only celebrity data. So mm. these are something which they are responsible for because from a technical standpoint, 
that is not something which technical people are ex- expert at so that's why we need these user experience researchers or social science researchers who understand the impact of these applications and who understand how to how to balance that diversity and inclusion in the society yeah and i really love what you say there where they don't necessarily need to know the exact knobs and the hyperparameters that are used in the training of this xg boost model but what yeah. they uh, do need to understand is how you know enough about the ML and AI to kind of understand how it works uh, at a high level, but then be able to apply that to their area of expertise around AI ethics, around diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? And these are the things that they need. That's their sort of superpower, their expertise. And sort of it's a little bit of the technical and a lot kind of going deep on these other issues. And I think that's so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take a look at the future, right? What issues will organizations have to grapple with in the future as AI and technology continues to evolve? So I'll start with a very generic statement here that the challenges are what we have seen in the past. Whenever technology is penetrating deeper into the society, there are challenges that come up because there are people who are going to be the negative actors who are trying to misuse the applications. And there are going to be side effects of these technologies on the society, on how people perceive these things, right? A simple example on why future of AI would be challenging is we see self-driving cars, right? And we see that the technology has really emerged well. We see a lot of companies building really good technology. They have tested these solutions a lot and they are doing really well. the core concept of these technologies are performing excellent. But what becomes a challenge when we are trying to productionalize this is integrating this with the existing entities in the society, with the existing entities in our lives every day. So if a self-driving car gets into an accident, right? Like there's no driver. So which insurance is liable for mm. for uh, for the expenses of the car right whom to blame is it the driver because there's no driver now so how do you make sure that you know uh, the liabilities is being channeled correctly would the car manufacturers get into trouble or is it the is it the technology providers who are providing with the self-driving algorithms who will get into trouble so who is to be blamed this is a challenge which we need to tackle and that's where i mean that we'll face these challenges between integrating technology into our society. That's where we need to focus. And that's where a lot of new things are going to be coming up where we see that, oh, we have this new technology and this is how it's going to impact each of us. And this is how we're going to be using it every single day. So how do we change the existing policies? How do insurance companies ramp up their uh, their way of working, et cetera? Yeah, I really love what you said there. I think you point out sort of you know, the two uh, amongst many kind of really important areas for us to focus on, like the economic side of things with sort of how do we shift the insurance liability around to make sure that people that p- people uh, are covered and we, everyone knows sort of where that lies. But then also sort of the bad actors, right? And I just think about kind of the rash of corporate ransomware and other kind of cyber attacks that have been happening. And, you know, they're not just with non-AI technology, right? But what happens when they start thinking about uh, exploiting AI systems and, and machine learning systems? And, uh, you know, I think we've talked about these kind of this adversarial attacks on deep learning. 
Joe, you know, you, you know a lot about that as well, where people put up, uh, I've seen this one where they have a stop sign, they put like two pieces of white tape strategically at the right place in the stop sign, and the self-driving cars cannot see the stop sign. And it's like small pieces of white tape. So like you and I will look at that and say like, that's obviously a stop sign with yeah. some like kid put some white tape on it, but yeah. it totally fools the machine. And yeah. you, can, you can imagine like, the, you know, a machine not recognizing a stop sign is a very dangerous thing. Exactly. Um, and then these other examples where you take an image and you just inject a little bit of noise in the image and, you know, it looks like static effectively, yeah. right? And you add that to the image, but then, but when you add it to the image, it's a small amount of noise. So yeah. the picture of a dog still looks like a dog. Yeah. And, but the computer says it's a cat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, those things are just extracted from like looking at the neural networks and doing some math on them. But then you sort of think about like, okay, what happens if that's facial recognition for far more high stakes stuff? Like what if there's some sort of criminal justice application of it or some sort of military application of it? then suddenly a little bit of static injected into the system could be very, very dangerous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think we just have to, as a society, have to think about what that means and how do we deal with those kind of potential threats. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I totally agree with you there. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> so what are two things that our product and user teams can do tomorrow to better leverage AI capabilities to create business value? So the first thing is to first acknowledge that this is something that they need to work on. So we mm -hmm. see a lot of organizations who are putting in active effort uh, to, you know, building ethical AI systems. But at the same time, we see a lot of organizations who are not doing the same thing. So the first and foremost step is for each and every organization who are either developing their own AI applications or sourcing it through some third party to understand how important this is. And it's not any kind of an additional or a bonus thing that you're doing in your organization. It is a very essential part that every organization uh, needs to address and they need to accept that it is necessary. So mm -hmm. that's the first and foremost step. And the next step that I feel uh, would be highly necessary is to evaluate their data science pipelines. Like currently, what are they doing? How are they evaluating the user, uh, the user base? How are they evaluating the impact on the users? How are they evaluating any kind of like risk mitigation approaches, et cetera? So they have to first understand what's going on in their current data science pipeline and have the right kind of guardrails at different points. So when I say fairness or uh, model explainability, that goes right when you're trying to build the model. When we say data security, data governance, that goes before we have even got the data onto the analytics platform. So these are some of the guardrails that organization needs to set up as a primary step and then get into the uh, user experience research or like get into the AI ethics part of it, which is more non-technical. So technical guardrails are probably the first and foremost thing because they already have the pipeline for the, for the data science models. So once they have that, have the right kind of guardrails on the, on the pipeline and then approach it from, from an ethic, ethics point of view. Yeah. And actually I want to, sort of highlight something that IBM is doing here. IBM has this like great set of AI fairness algorithms up on its GitHub. And it's super cool that, you know, you guys just released it and made it available. I think it just shows uh, IBM's commitment in this area. And also just makes it so much easier for, you know, data scientists like me to go and say like, hey, I want to incorporate some fairness, but I don't have time to read every single 
research paper that's come out, interpret that, turn it into code and write it. So the fact that IBM's kind of done this and made some off the shelf products that I can just use for free, right? Uh, open source yeah. is really cool. Absolutely. So there are products which IBM has also like made open source that you mentioned with respect to adversarial uh, attacks. So okay. algorithms help you to detect if there is any kind of attacks that could possibly happen, uh, generates noisy image data or like uh, tabular data and puts that through the algorithm to make sure that their model is well trained for such kind of noises that could appear. And there is also a package for uh, model robustness to make sure that there are no uh, attacks onto the model or or there's no loopholes uh, in a way that people can poison the model or the data itself. So these are also some of the other packages apart from AI Explainability 360, that's again open source and uh, AI Fairness 360 is also open source. So these are some of the technical aspects of things which can go and fit right into your data science pipeline. Yeah, I and mean, I think that that kind of, let's say noising of the images and I guess you could probably apply to audio and other sort of machine learning tasks it is going to be a huge part of the modern, let's say, deep learning pipeline, right? Where, yeah, you're right. It's like we have these models that are so powerful that it's actually super easy to generate to generate these um, inadvertently adver uh, model, models that are inadvertently susceptible to adversarial attack. And so we need to sort of robustify them. I'm making up words here, but uh, we need to like uh, make them more robust. And, yeah. and, and I think it's just great that there's you know, the tools you mentioned from IBM and other open source tools that are sort of getting towards that because that's, that's like necessary as a move towards production. We need to sort of make this stuff more robust. Uh, I'm kind of curious where you see, you, you talked to a lot of organizations throughout the country and around the world. Where, where do you see most orgs in this? Uh, I don't mean like name specific names, but overall, uh, mm -hmm. where are companies in this journey of making AI more fair, more robust, more ethical? Are we starting out? Are we at the? Are they very mature? I would say that companies which are again more working towards their own, like have their own kind of cloud computing systems, so they are definitely more ahead in the game. And there are companies which identify themselves as non-technical or like non-technology services. Mm -hmm. They are probably a little behind in this entire uh, pipeline. So I have seen uh, this initiative that came in from, um, from the cloud providers. So it was a collaboration between multiple cloud providers and they had also launched this initiative called Trusted Cloud Computing. So that is something which I found was very, very good and a very uh, strong first step uh, into this um, purpose. So we would definitely see more and more uh, organizations from other industries, maybe from finance or from healthcare and other industries who are not ideally classified as technology services, but they are also building applications either in-house or through third parties. And these applications are being used by you and me and like other folks uh, day in, day out. So these organizations also need to be, you know, ahead in the game and make sure that what they are building is more responsible. Yeah. Okay. In our conversation, you've mentioned a bunch of these, let's call them data science adjacent roles that are non-technical. So that AI ethicist, the data privacy and security officer, UX researcher, cybersecurity officers, uh, mm -hmm. these kind of new entrance, if you will, into the sort of the data science roundtable that you kind of imagine happening at these corporate conversations. Which one do you see 
is the most sort of missing look at other companies. Like what, what, what's the role that people are just like, oh, I didn't realize that was something I needed to think about in AI and ethics. So the social science aspect is definitely something which I feel is missing and people think of it as, you know, like, oh, we have a social science researcher. Wow, this is a bonus into the organization. But that's mm. not the case because in long term, if you want to build systems with are sustainable, you need to understand long term impact. And this is something I strongly, strongly advocate for because with social media, with how we see, you know, like social media is being used by teenagers, by, by really, really young people. And with everything that we have seen around addiction and depression, mental health, etc. These are not something which technology people are going to be aware of when they're building these applications. These are something only social science people are going to be aware of. So what is the long-term impact? How would users respond to this application after say six months or a year or after five years? That is really, really important. And that's one of the important keys which I find is missing in most of the applications which are user-facing. Mm, I, I think that's, that's a really good point. Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think that that's the role that's kind of most, that, that's sort of the blind spot on collective corporate radars? Mm -hmm. Oh, so, so why do you think that's the, why do you think that's the case that that it's the social science kind of researcher role that's the one that seems to be lacking in so many of these organizations? Is there a specific um, reason why like that's not as obvious that you need that person at the table at the table? So far, like what we have seen, right, with with these AI applications which are user user facing, what we have seen is that the mission of the organization or their goals are more about. How do we get more user engagement? How do we get more revenue? How do we get better ads? How do we give, give them better recommendations so that they are on the platform all the time? But when you say that uh, you know you are trying to keep people on the platform all the time, that is all. That also makes sense that you are somewhere making them addicted to the platform. That also that also means that you are uh, impacting their mental health, and this is not what engineers are uh, focusing on. For engineers, what is more important is that they build best kind of algorithms, which caters to the best interests of the users. And it's not out of the focus of engineers to understand that, okay, I am getting these people hooked onto the platform, but what next? Like, what is the impact of that? That is not something that engineers or data scientists have expertise in. For that, those kind of uh, for those kind of analysis, we definitely need people who have a psychology background and who can understand like a human uh, interaction perspective. Who can understand that how women, men, or other uh, other classes in the society would react to such kind of an application. So that I feel is really important, and uh, that that's definitely missing right now. Cool, and I, I love to end these conversations in the same way we began. Kind of about your career uh, or uh, and the kind of what advice would you give someone who's listening to this who say who's maybe beginning the data science career or in school and thinking about data science and they're saying like oh i really like to be aishra in a few years right so what, what would you what kind of advice would you give them one of the advices that i typically give people is to figure out your focus because that's something i feel is missing and when a lot of people come to me saying that they're really interested in data science i i try to tell them that okay like do you understand what kind of area that you're interested to work in because 
there are tens of organizations who are doing data science. There are tens of organizations who are using the applications of data science, but they could be in different industries. They could have different functions. They could have different a different way of fun like different way of operation right b2b or b2c yeah you could be in a customer facing role versus a research kind of role etc so there are different personas within the data science umbrella and one of the things i tell people is if you want to pursue a career in data science make sure that you have explored all different options and you understand your area of focus that's where it makes sense for you to you know like go ahead and apply to companies rather than mass applying to 200 companies yeah uh, <laughs> i think that makes so much sense and then i'm this is always the thing i'm curious about what do you think is one thing that you learned after school that um about the field of data science that you wish you had learned in school to be honest, there are things which I learned after graduating school, but I don't know how different it would be if I had known that earlier. Maybe I would have learned more things on a shorter period of time. But one thing that I learned is data is not as rosy as it is being presented in your school. <laughs> Uh, the use cases are not well structured as, as you see them in your school. Things are not, not so seamlessly working together similar to what you get in your assignments. Choosing your metric can take you weeks because you're trying to understand what business application is being attached to it. How would it impact their business? Would it affect any other business lines? How long would it take you to scale it? How long would the users take to get used to this application, et cetera? So there's so many aspects of things that attaches itself to data science as soon as when you when you're moving from you know, theory to practice. So that's something I learned as soon as I graduated that, okay, well, like things are not as clean and structured as I used to see them in assignments. So that's one of the things I learned. And I would say that one of the things which helped me uh, grow into this faster uh, than uh, later was having industry experience even when I was in school. So even when I was in school, I used to do capstone projects. I did part-time internships with organizations and it was, from there that I started getting a hint of what productional data science looks like. Oh, yeah, I, I think that's so important. And, you know, part of this is that kind of conversation we we're talking about earlier around like making your deep learning more robust, right? It's these kind of very practical, real life issues that you face that aren't necessarily the things that they're going to teach you in school. But, but I actually think the bigger, the more important meta point that you brought up is really about kind of that data science isn't just a sort of narrow like machine learning problem, right? So which is, I think often how it's portrayed, not just in school, but kind of in the popular press or the way we sort of, even the way we often talk about data science and blog posts and kind of the community talks about it, right? It's like, oh, you know, I have a bunch of, here's a CSV file, I have a bunch of Xs, here's some Ys, this is gonna be uh, judged by R squared, let's go. And yeah, that's like, Okay, but that's that's like actually a pretty easy problem to solve. It's like very technical. So, you know, we academics and schools like to teach it. But the big problem is here's a bunch of words that your CEO just like dumped on you. And you need to make sense of that and turn it into a business idea that's ethical, responsible, all that, and also makes money or delivers value. And it's that translation of the kind of business context into an actual business problem and then into a machine learning problem, which is what, you know, what the real value delivery is. 
And for people who don't understand corporate speak, that means this is what you can actually get paid for. So I think it's so it's just so important. And it, uh, it's something that's, you know, we, we I think is kind of lost in a lot of our conversations around AI. Yeah, I, I totally second you on that. And where do, if people want to continue following your work, uh, where can our fo- uh, listeners go to follow up on what you're doing? Yeah, I'm most active on LinkedIn. That's the only platform where I'm posting the most. And that's uh, the only platform where I'm reachable uh, most easily. So yeah, that's the better place to like reach out to me in case you want to contact. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for do- joining Data Chats, Aishra. And for our listeners, if you'd like to leverage the power of data to solve business problems and propel decision-making, explore Pragmatic Institute's corporate and open enrollment training offerings at pragmatic.com data. That's pragmatic.com data. And if you'd like to master in-demand skills to launch your career in data science, explore the Data Incubator's immersive data science and data engineering fellowship at thedataincubator.com. All right. Well, thank you so much and look forward to uh, the next time we connect. Thank you, Michael. Have a good one.